Kieran, can you hear me? Hi. Yeah. Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, good. How can are you? you? Hear me? Yes. Yeah, sir. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Um, it's uh, it's Mother's Day um, around here, so we've just been having a, a nice time chilling out, and um, yeah, it's been good. Um, oh, good. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of uh, what is obviously a very special day over there to, to be no, on. No problem. Excellent. All right. Well, today we have Kieran White on the show. Uh, Kieran is, he lives on the failed coast. I'm probably horribly mispronouncing Failed coast. Yeah. Failed coast. coast. Mm -hmm. Oh, dang it. I actually uh, Googled it and uh, tried to use the pronunciation tool. And <laughs> You're very close. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. Kieran White lives on the Filed Coast. He is co-chair of Gensex, uh, G-E-N-S-E-X, at Gensex Research, an interdisciplinary research group asking probing questions about gender and sexuality. His work has been published by Unoia Review, The Art of Everyone, Small Leaf Press, Fevers of the Mind, and others. He graduated from Edge Hill University in 2018 with honors in creative writing. All right. Well, Kieran, you're on today and we're going to read a, we have three small, uh, three short pieces uh, and they were all published in uh, The Art of Everyone in uh, November, December, and January of uh, 2020 to 2021. So these mm -hmm. are, are these brand new pieces or were they something you had in your, in your portfolio for a while? Uh, they were they were brand new, uh, pretty much. Um, a couple of the ideas in um, in the in the first two stories, Siegel and um, Leviathan, they were ideas I'd had for a while. But um, no, they're they're new stories. Yeah. Okay, great. And you said in an email to me that they were inter interlinked, so we can think of them. I mean, they're three individual pieces, but uh, we can think of them as uh, parts of a whole. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and hopefully there will be uh, more to come um, on the art of everyone. There are there are definitely more stories. It's um, um, they'll be up in the near future. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Some stories that build upon the three that we're going to hear today. Yeah, yeah. So the the interconnectedness of them will become uh, more clear as as the the stories go on. But um, yeah, that's the idea that maybe maybe not um uh plot wise maybe they won't all interconnect but thematically and um and and you know um stylistically i, I like to think of them you know being in the same universe if, if that makes sense absolutely and uh, we'll mm -hmm. talk about that more after after we hear the stories well should we just go ahead and jump into it sure yeah great all right this first one is seagull and uh, we agreed that I was going to read the stories, and it's a shame because I, I love your accent, and I'm, and there's a lot of <laughs> stuff in here that is uh, uh, probably best rendered in in, in that accent. But uh, I'll, I'll give it my best effort. Seagull by Kieran Wyatt. It starts at half eight in the morning and finishes twelve hours later. Sunday is the only respite from the noise. That's almost the worst thing about it. Sunday has become my day of rest. I imagine they laugh about it. We'll give them one day of quiet, but when Monday comes bright and early, we'll start again. The transit van parks on the ne next door's curb. I watch the two of them, little and large, one bearded, the other bald, get out of their van, remove their tools from the boot and a ladder from the top of the van, then saunter through the house. 
I imagine they drape themselves in St. George's flags when England play and throw carling over themselves when someone scores. They've been working on next door's extension for nearly a year. It may have started the day after she went to the hospital. Maybe Carol never knew about the noise. Their conversations wake me now. Before I could only hear the radio blaring, but now it's everything they do. I don't hear full sentences, but I'll catch their expletives when I'm pacing my house. It's three, the witching hour. I've decided something has to be done. I contacted the council two weeks ago, but I've had no response. It felt pathetic putting in a complaint for noise pollution. So I turn on the lights and start collecting things from the spare room where I sleep, then our bedroom. I go downstairs and take two coffee tables from the living room. I take all these things outside. I place them on my patch of grass, which passes for a back garden. There's a seagull just above. I get the ladder from the garage. I don't remember why we bought a ladder, but here it is. I'd say it's four in the morning now. I left my watch inside. I don't need it. I have brought a heavy set torch from the garage along with the DIY stuff we bought from home base years ago before next door moved in and started to build the extension to end all extensions before everything shifted. I leaned the ladder against the wall. The top of the ladder scrapes the pebble dash wall. I test my weight on the first rung. I hold the torch in my right hand. I climb to the roof. I won't sit here to watch the sunrise. I must start as soon as possible before the transit van parks next door, before the day starts in earnest. I have few practical skills. I can cook maybe three meals. These three meals combined with regular takeaways and scampi and chips from Bloomfield Chippy constitute my diet. I cooked more before, but everything was more before. We cooked together. I tried to impress Carol by my cooking in the early days, but we quickly discovered I was no Jamie Oliver. I get to work. I climb down the ladder. I pick up one of the coffee tables, then return to the roof. I repeat this until the roof is filled with furniture and knickknacks. I recognize the porcelain Bo Peep. We found her in the British Heart Foundation at St. Anne's. Carol fell in love with her straight away. She was only a quid. I am on the roof with two coffee tables and lots of tat. I put one table on top of the other. I stand on it. I am high above now. I look over the street. I see Blackpool Tower a few doors down and the seagull again, even higher, hovering over my head watching to see what I'll, what I'll do next. About midday, I'm perched on a tower of furniture. I have splinters in my backside, but I don't mind. As well as Blackpool Tower, I can see Coral Island and the three piers. North Pier was always our favorite, next to the tower. Close to all the amenities, Carol said. What else could you ask for? I close my eyes. I shift my weight in tower, and the tower shifts too. It wobbles. I keep my cool. I won't fall. I hear the camel derby callers at Coral Island. Maybe it's my imagination, but I hear it regardless. One pound to play, winner every time. I hadn't wanted to visit the arcade. It seemed to encapsulate everything I hated about this country. Carol asked me to explain, but I didn't have a good explanation. She was drawn to the camel derby. She lost every time. We walked away with no prizes. We wasted maybe 30 pounds, but we were smiling. That was the first time we came to Blackpool. If I threw a stone from the top of my tower, it would take minutes to hit the ground. I open my eyes. I look to Central Car Park. The summer holidays are in full swing. Families leave their cars. They head to the Golden Mile. I am eye to eye with my seagull now. We're silent. I remember it's Sunday today. That was Seagull. The next story is called Leviathan. 
I looked down to our hands, both wrinkly, more aged than I ever thought they'd be. I just want you to know I'm sorry. She leans in to kiss my cheek. We go back to our ice creams. I visit to see if the illness has wiped her last memory of me. Rainy today. A flicker of recognition. She's in the room, but she doesn't see me. When it started, before the kids decided I was unfit to look after her, I would rest my hands on her shoulders and lean into her. I'd try to get through. Now I realize it doesn't work like that. The disease chooses when she can say hello. Sometimes it's tempted by quiet conversation, so I go on. Drizzly out there, miserable. Her eyebrow, her eyebrow lifts slightly. It's impossible to tell until it lets her speak. Whatever comes out of her mouth determines if she's really with me. Even then, I'm not always sure. There's a nurse at the other side of the communal room trying to talk to someone in another armchair. The armchairs are arranged in a vast semicircle. You can see the telly from every armchair. They've made sure of that. But it's not a living room. It's a not living room. Have you noticed they prefer the word resident to patient? Maybe they're trying to trick the illness into leaving. When I turn back to her, she's allowed to talk. Horrible, she moves her mouth slowly. Looks miserable. This is all I need. Tomorrow will be too late. It's now or never. My love won't wait. I take my wife by her wrist. Out of the room. We're in the corridor. Her room is there. Number six. They put her on the ground floor. Mobility issues. I push us out of the building through the fire exit. A sharp intake of breath. I lift her. It's a fireman's lift. I stay fixed on the car parked on White Gate Drive and don't look right or left in case someone tries to stop us. There we go, I say, fastening her seatbelt. I start the car and she opens her gooey mouth to speak. How about a 99? I drive us to Market Street. I park illegally. The weather cleared during our great escape. The sun pokes its little finger through the clouds. She walks slightly ahead, excited, ready for her ice cream. She babbles on. What are you laughing at, mister? Nothing, I tell her. I'm just happy. I wonder if this was always the solution. She's been her coop for, in her coop for a year, battery farmed, and I did nothing about it until now. Guilt doesn't cover it. Are you getting a flake, she asks. She slows. We're nearing North Pier. I tell her no. I just like the ice cream. Of course, she moans. Like always, some things don't change. I get my small black wallet out as we close in on the kiosk. She's already talking to the vendor. She asks for $1.99 and another Mr. Whippy with no flake. We walk onto North Pier with our ice creams and sit on one of the benches at the very edge of the world. There's a pause in the conversation. I put a hand on hers. She stops licking her ice cream for a moment and holds my eye. I look down to our hands, both wrinkly, more aged than I ever thought they'd be. I just want you to know I'm sorry. She leans in to kiss my cheek. We go back to our ice creams. The sun pokes another finger through the clouds. I'm about to tell her about the kids when she spots something on the beach far below us. Look, she says, a whale. For a second, I think the illness has regained its grip on her. But I see it too. She gets to her feet. We're walking to the beach, down those broad steps, below the comedy carpet, and finally we reach the whale. We're the first people to it. We stand back. She leans on me. A big black membrane. It's dead. That's obvious. I take a step closer to it. So close I could touch it. My wife stands a few paces behind like a sentinel on Crosby Beach as I inspect it. I notice a hole where its belly meets the sandy floor. There's no blood, a clean cut. I bend down, 
touching my back, which has caused me jip for years and slide my head into the hole to get a good look, to see what we're dealing with. I hold my breath on entry, but there's no need. I inhale. The smell is salty, almost pleasant. I recoil as a swarm of flies rush to me. I fall out of the whale's stomach. My breathing is unsteady, frantic. I scramble to her, but she's gone. That was Leviathan, and the third story is called Spaniel. I stare at my profile pic. I don't smile. I'm not a bad person. The last bad thing I did, the last nasty thing I did when I was only 10. Bruce comes with me on these dates. He gets bored pretty quickly because he never gets any attention. To be fair, my dates don't give me much attention either. It feels that way. I am the date and nothing more. I say the right things, initiate the usual conversations about work, family, hobbies, etc., but never anything important. The other week I met someone, Katie. We met at Costa, the one by the entrance to Hounds Hill. Bruce left our table to explore. I kept one eye on him. I have two sisters, my date said. I'm the youngest. They don't let me forget it either. Bruce scrounged for food. No one gave him anything because no one saw him. Before long, I'd lost track of what she was saying. You're all right. I turned my attention back to the stranger and nodded. I apologized. Is everything okay? I nodded again. Bruce came back to our table eventually. Needless to say, we haven't seen Katie again. I don't speak to Bruce when we're out and about. I don't want people, I don't want to appear completely bonkers. But sometimes I talk to him when we're home. I'm, a, I'm asking him whether he'd like fish or a bit of chicken for tea when my bowl vibrates on the kitchen counter. Bruce eats his chicken. He digs his broken nose into the red bowl I bought at Pets at Home. He seems to like it. I check my phone. Two days later, two days after matching on Tinder, she's replied to my, hey. I look at my stupid Tinder profile. I stare at my profile pic. I don't smile. I'm not a bad person. The last bad thing I did, the last nasty thing I did when I was only 10. Bruce, daft dog, walks over my toes. He's clumsy thanks to his injuries. It would be an issue if he were real. He has a translucent quality. My phone buzzes again. How about no notarianes? I wait a couple of minutes before replying to this message. Then again, you can't leave a message for too long. I look at a profile. I tend to swipe right on every profile, so this is the first time I'm seeing her properly. She sh shares a name with an erstwhile school bully, but she has a friendly face. I reply. We spend the rest of our evening on the iPad watching YouTube. Bruce nuzzles under, underneath my chin. He's a malleable animal. He's softened since we met nearly 15 years ago. Notariani's is closed. The sign tells us there's been a family emergency. She turns to me. Shit, I was in the mood for ice cream. I nod in agreement, even though I'm not mad keen on ice cream. Where should we go? I tell her I don't mind, whatever you fancy. Again, I have one eye on Bruce. He's walking slightly ahead of us. He lingers by McDonald's. I leave him behind. He'll catch up. We cross the road. It's a sunny day. Tide's out, she says. I'm about to ask whether she knows Blackpool well when she tells me about the time she swam in the sea during a summer holiday and almost drowned. Mom never let me in the sea again, she says, smiling. She tells me about her family through a series of anecdotes. I feel blanketed by her stories. I like their endings. I learn more about her as we walk to Central Pier. When we reach Central, she points out a giant poster for Kings and Queen of Rock, Pop, and Roll, 
We look at the tribute acts on the poster. You'd make a good Elvis, she says. I laugh. No, I'm being serious. She works her pelvis and does her best imitation of the king. I've always wanted to go to that, you know. I tell her we can go one day. She smiles. Let's walk on the sand. We walk underneath the pier. We wander right onto the beach. I'd usually be terrified by the group of teenagers wandering about the place, but I feel quite calm now. She seems to know where she's going, even though we're walking aimlessly. She sits on a mound of sand, the remnants of a grand, intricate castle. I look left to the pier. I wonder if it, if it, if it could fall now. Those people would be crushed. It will fall one day. That's inevitable. She puts a hand on my knee. It's perfectly innocent, almost expected. Now we're holding hands, watching the world go by. I like your dog, by the way. I wonder what she means. Bruce is just ahead, chasing something fluttering above his head. I ask what she means. Is he a spaniel? I don't know much about dogs. I like them, don't get me wrong. He's cute, she adds after a pause. What happened to his nose? I tell her a kid, must have been only 10 years old, kicked him, and he hasn't been the same since. Poor dog, seems happy enough now. What's his name? All right, and that was Spaniel. All right, so, I mean, I, I really, I really enjoyed these stories, and thank you. Thank and I want to, and I wanted to ask you some questions about them, about some things that I, I noticed about them, and I wondered if you intended them, because uh, you never know when a, and when you read something, uh, whether or not the what you're getting out of it is what the author intended. Yeah. Um, and in, and there's a couple of things that these stories share in common. I mean, one, they're all. Uh, they all have animals as the as the title, seagull, mm -hmm. leviathan, and spaniel. And then I was wondering whether or not that was intentional. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, uh, when I when I started on uh, seagull, um, I didn't really think about uh, you know writing a um, like a follow up or even a, a pseudo seagull, uh, but it just seemed um, like a like a good way of grounding the stories and each of the animals has a sort of is the um is the uh, gateway into the the more um um magical kind of element of the story for want of a better word it's you know each animal represents the the character um entering a slightly less real type of world um you know so the 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 seagull appears when he's you know, uh, building his his tower uh, uh, on top of his house. You know this impossibly high um, tower. Um, the 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 whale at the end of Leviathan is. You know, um, uh, I don't think a whale like that has ever uh, washed up on um, on Blackpool Beach. I might be wrong, but um, that was the the you know the the invented part of the story and the the strange element and then of course the the dog in the third story bruce is um well i suppose you could read it uh, you know uh, uh, a couple of ways but i wrote it as he's a, a a sort of ghost dog you know and the boy that the the man in the in the story um killed him accidentally as a child you know by kicking him in, in, um, out of you know anger or fright we don't really know but yeah, the, the, the animals were, um, it was, um, yeah, a good way of, of linking the stories and, 
it just yeah helped me to give them titles too because i'm i'm pretty bad at titles normally <laughs> yeah well uh, you in your answer you answer my next question which is uh i you know I, I was wondering if there was an intentional sort of i don't want to say magical realism uh, or maybe maybe that's perfectly fine with you but there was definitely a like you said a sort of a uh unreal uh uh, sort of departure from the realism of the story, especially with the seagull, where we're, we're to take it that he's got his, he's built this tower that's just, you know, uh, uh, you know, remarkably high, uh, almost un unrealistically. So for you to say magical, um, and obviously, there's the there's the whale and he sticks his head in and it's kind of cavern. I, I imagine it to be cavernous, like a kind of like a Job figure. And mm -hmm. then obviously there's Bruce, Bruce the dog, uh, who uh, is uh, uh, can't be seen by anybody except for him. And apparently, and apparently this nice young lady that he's gone on on a date with. Sure, says. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I take it a is it? Would you call it magical realism, or do you do you do you want to give it a label, or do you uh, are are you do you not like to give things labels, or is it just you know something that springs out of the story? Well, um, I, I certainly didn't go into the the stories, you know, saying that these stories are going to be are going to deal with magic realism or, or um, anything like that. And I think um, uh, a, a lot of um, that kind of um, you know analysis comes after you've written the story, and it it may make the story more um, interesting to reread or maybe edit in the future, but definitely when i'm writing it it's it's all about what what's the most exciting or um or um you know what what's the thing in the next line that will keep somebody reading or or in the next couple of lines um it just um uh, the the these stories uh, i wrote them quite close together and that was the kind of mood i was in uh, writing at that time was uh, it was during lockdown here here in the UK last year which we're still in but this was when it was slightly less um, <laughs> dull and and, and um, mundane um, last summer and um, I was uh, stuck at home like like a lot of us were and maybe this kind of attempt at writing something with more liminal spaces and with more with, with stranger elements was a way of um uh, of escapism for me writing them but no I, d I didn't go into it thinking I'm, I'm going to write something uh magic realism it, it was it was it just happened to be that way you know Hmm. I like the fact that you use the word liminal because I, I actually do have that. I wrote that in the margin of uh, of in Spaniel, and and I wanted to ask you if these these three stories seem to share that sort of liminal space. Uh, Seagull is goes upwards, uh, hmm. and Leviathan and uh, Spaniel both go towards the sea. Uh, uh, in the liminal space between land and sea, and so hmm. I was wondering if that was something if that was intentional yeah um it seemed appropriate as well because i knew i wanted to write about um blackpool that was that was maybe the one um conscious decision or, or the thing i went into with all three of the stories um before writing them was i knew i wanted to write about this place which is 
um, important to me. Um, and um, it's um, Blackpool is a uh, I love Blackpool, but it's um, a it can be a strange place, and it's definitely a place where uh, people come and come and go. It's it's most famous for being a, a seaside resort, and in the middle of the last century, it was um, one of the most popular uh, seaside holidays um, for for people in in the UK. Um, but it's also now one of the most impoverished areas in the in the country here in England. Huh. Um, and um, so you you will go to Blackpool and 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 visit the Golden Mile as a as a holiday maker, which and the, the Golden Mile is the stretch from uh, I might be wrong, I, uh, but the stretch from the Pleasure Beach, which is a, a theme park right near the, the sea to um, to uh, North Pier, which is near the tower. It's that kind of area. So you've got arcades and chip shops and bars on this stretch. And then half a mile away, you've got um, very dilapidated housing and rundown areas. Um, and I, in no way do I mean to talk Blackpool down. Um, I, I really admire the place. and. And many happy memories there but it seemed to me that it was it was an interesting place to try and um try and get my teeth into and also i i live very close to blackpool um uh, i live just past um Lytham, which is so I, i'm close to um to, to the area and i also worked there um in one of the arcades uh which is mentioned in the first story um in coral island and um I got a real sense of the place when I was there and it just seemed to me it was this sort of liminal space where you had lots of different types of people coming especially during the summer season and um, something exciting maybe dangerous happening every day and uh, and I would work in the arcade until uh, 10 o'clock at, at night and I would get the night bus home so I would see um I saw some sites and um, I just thought I've got to write about this place, you know, and um, find some stories for it. So, yeah, I would describe it as, as a liminal space. And, and that's I'm glad that that came across in the stories. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. Let me ask you the uh, are we is it reasonable to assume that the narrator of all three stories is the same or are these uh, different people? Um, I thought of them as different people. Um, yeah. Um, I think though they are they are similar um, as I've continued writing the stories and I've written a couple more that will that will follow after this and, and will hopefully um, be out there soon. Um, they're all uh, uh, men and uh, they're all dealing with um, a, a, a significant other, be it a, a girlfriend or a wife or in the case of Siegel, uh, some, um, you, you know, he he's recently um, uh, widowed. Um, so that's become the the another um, force behind the, the stories while I've been writing them. Um, and I don't always write from the perspectives of of men. Um, uh, when I was at university, a lot of the stories I wrote were um, from the perspective of women. But more recently, um, 
yeah, I've been trying to um, delve into the, uh, without wanting to sound too pretentious, the male, you know, uh, psyche and um, my own experiences too. Mm. Um, yeah, so okay. I, I thought of them as different people. Yeah. Okay. Well, and it's a kind of a, or a you know, maybe a more uh, perceptive reader than myself might have picked up on clues that indicated they were different people. But when I read them, and I read them several times, I, I kept trying to, you know, make them be one person in my mind right. in a way that, uh, you know, I was drawing connections between them. Um, and Siegel, I was, you know, I wrote in the margin, you know, is Carol still alive, question mark. And, uh, and, that, and so it, it seemed like she was either, you know, either recently departed or she was perhaps still alive, but, um, you know, maybe in that sort of that twilight state where she is, uh, you know, demise is imminent and once again, a liminal, liminal description. And I also thought maybe, you know, Bruce the dog was sort of a uh, representation, uh, an emotional representation of, of him losing his wife. So I thought maybe, you know, the Spaniel mm -hmm. and Siegel were uh, in, uh, linked in at least, uh, you know, before and after uh, Carol's death, possibly. But, you know, it was, when, when people read things, they, they, they try to make connections. And, and it's always interesting to find out if that's what the, what the author intended, or if I'm just completely misreading it. No, I mean, that's, that's really interesting. And um, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wanted to, uh, well, I think the three stories in my head anyway, um, it's not explicit within the stories, but I think in Siegel, he's probably about 40, um, 50, that middle age. And in the second story, Leviathan, he's um, uh, an older person and dealing with that part of life. And then in the third story, I, I imagined him um, in his 20s and... Um, uh, and dealing with things like you know tinder and, and stuff like that not that you know uh, um older people or middle-aged people may not it, you, may use tinder but um that's what um that was my thinking i kind of wanted these three um demographics kind of represented in the stories but yeah okay i see yeah. and there's a the there's seems to be to, to my reading there's something in uh, they they kind of have in common uh they just like you said earlier they uh and i wanted to make sure i, I picked up that thread uh we have the the male narrator dealing with the absence of uh of a, of a woman uh, at least explicitly in seagull and leviathan so, uh and so, so much so that i kind of wondered if uh, if in leviathan if his wife was if Leviathan, uh, if if she was still alive, or if he was imagining uh, mm -hmm. breaking out, breaking her out of the the the, the home where she is, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the, the reason I thought that is because when you read uh, Spaniel, you know, he has the obviously has the capacity to uh, realistically imagine a, a dog that follows him around. So I thought maybe the episode in Leviathan was similarly a, a construction on uh, of wishful thinking on his part. Yeah, I mean, um, I saw ev um, everything in Leviathan. I think from my reading up to up to where she sees the whale is um, happened. Um, you know, in in our uh, re reality, or um, 
uh, and then the whale um, is the is the point where it starts to the world starts to deteriorate. Mm-hmm. And I suppose you could the whale to me is represents the um, uh, dementia or the the illness which she has, which is um, causing her mind to deteriorate and perhaps also is a sign of his deterioration um but i i've had that image of of the whale for a long time and i've been trying to write something where i don't know why it's one of those um strange things where i've just had this image of a whale washed up in in an unusual place and even like a urban environment or somewhere unexpected and the consequences of that and the strangeness of it drawing the characters in and and then i just like the image of of this uh man uh from blackpool poking his head <laughs> into into a, a a whale a whale's open um belly and then almost like alice you know in in in, the, in uh, going through the rabbit hole and um, falling down the rabbit hole you know going into this um different world so that was that was the thinking behind the whale yeah um, well the whales uh, obviously got a rich literary heritage i mean you've got Joe, exactly <laughs> herman yeah. melville um even douglas adams he had a i don't know if you've ever read hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy mm-hmm. but of course it's <laughs> it's required reading here in the uk yeah <laughs> you know uh, his birthday was the other day i think yeah yeah anyway um and well, one of the reasons I wondered whether or not uh, in in Leviathan whether or not he was imagining uh, breaking her out of the out of the home is because he sticks his head into the whale, and when he pulls out of it again, she's gone. And I mm. thought, well, maybe did she dash off? Maybe she was never really there. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. You could read it. Um, I think both ways. I mean, I don't know. I don't know whether I'd like to answer that question for myself even you know it's mm-hmm. um i do like those kind of stories where you have to um that there's just no answer you know you have to leave it uh open and yeah okay i like those kind of stories let me ask you so you, you know you you see these as interlinked but not necessarily the same narrator and all through all three and talking to you about them it's a uh, that that is i can see i definitely see uh the differences between them um but you said they're interlinked in a way that i mean the i I think you said there's some more stories that are forthcoming and are they going to uh uh enrich in the 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 tapestry are they going to build on some of these characters or uh is is this a a lonely hearts club for for single guys or (laughs) yeah um yeah so so, uh, some of the characters will uh return in in um you know uh subsequent stories i've written the i've written uh another part to the um the the spaniel the the bruce story um the next part in that um that was the one that that seemed to ask for another part or another little snippet of of where this might be going um which i hadn't thought of when i was writing it because i like that philosophy of a short story should be the most exciting moment or the kind of brightest moment in a in a character's um um 
life or, or just a, a, a snapshot in time. But it seemed to me that there was more story to tell. Um, uh, there's also another part of the um, of the Seagull story, but from a different perspective. And the same with Leviathan. Uh, we go back to the um, nursing home and we see things from a um, from a carer's point of view, from a from a someone who works within the uh, the home. So yeah, oh, okay. that that's kind of where it's that they're the the next stories, but they're also um, uh, new voices too. Uh, you know, it won't just be these three voices. And uh, so yeah. Um, okay, awesome. Um, I like how. The, the the twist at the or I, I guess it's not really a twist but at the end of spaniel when it turns out that his date can see bruce as well uh it, it kind of opens up and it's, it's a nice moment for one because it's a sort of a romantic uh, uh pivot uh but it's also it seems to open up a new world of uh you know what what is this relationship going to be like does she know that bruce is imaginary or does i mean how how is it that what are the rules of uh, of, of that engagement Sure. I mean, I had the thought after I read it, I was talking to um, my girlfriend Alice about it after she read it. And I said, well, um, his um, his date could be, um, he could have maybe, uh, she might be a, a, a ghost too, or maybe he killed her. Because, um, I mean, that's like a very, like, that doesn't really fully make sense within the context of the <laughs> of the story but i suppose i was thinking you could read it a lot uh, uh, in a darker way that maybe he was malicious towards this dog and maybe he he has a streak within him that is slightly um even predatory because we hear about him going on these dates with this um this deformed um ghost dog and it seemed there could be a darker edge to that character but that was just that was me talking to off the um off the top of my head but yeah i think it's it is um it's it's sort of a, a, a it's the most twisty ending i think that i've <laughs> that i've written um because i find i i write a lot more poetry than i do short stories and i think um sometimes I, I struggle to uh, maybe come up with an ending which um, is is twisty like that or 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 completely satisfying in prose um, but yeah this one was I was pretty happy with the ending and it, and it came out of it came as a surprise to me and I was I was pleased with it and I like her character she's maybe more interesting than he is by the end of it and um yeah so it, it was it was a surprise to me i like that ending too yeah well i thought it was one of the the roads one of the notes i wrote down is uh it's unfortunate that he's you know he's the character in spaniel or the narrator has done one nasty thing but apparently <laughs> he's doomed to be haunted by it forever yeah. which, which is unfortunate yeah um i mean that's kind of there were a couple of um inspirations for that story one was when um we were about 10 years old me and my sister were walking by lytham 
um, which is near Blackpool, or relatively near. And she was a, a dog jumped up to her scarf and started. Uh, it, it, it kind of was hanging from her scarf, and she was only small and was really scared. And I kind of imagined, well, what if um, it, if she had, had had kicked the dog just, you know, out of out of trying to defend herself, even if yeah. the dog was uh, was only playing, or if I'd intervened and, and kicked it and what if you know you were haunted by this dog but in all honesty um the biggest inspiration was an advert which is playing in the uk now um or or at least over here um in england um which is for car insurance i think and in the advert um a woman crashes into a pet shop and um all the animals are released. None of the, anim- none of the animals appear to be hurt. Um, but then she rings up the car, ins- the car insurance provider and, and says, yeah, I've just crashed into a, um, a pet shop. You know, it's this quirky kind of advert. But I thought, well, what if she'd, you know, crashed into that pet shop and all of the budgery guys and the, and the little hamsters had been squished and she'd, <laughs> she, had, she had to live with this guilt of, ramming into this pet shop and then it just i just kind of like whittled that idea down to well what if a man had you know um had harmed a dog or or accidentally killed a dog Mm -hmm. so it was it was quite a it's quite it's quite a dark idea but i wanted to make it uh, a bit humorous a bit you know a bit silly too you know (laughs) well bruce does seem relatively happy and uh (laughs) unaffected so that's good (laughs) <laughs> yeah he he's not he's not he doesn't seem to be an unhappy dog uh, but he, <laughs> but he is dead so yeah he has a lot less he, he doesn't worry too much he's yeah one of the things i wanted to ask about was the in leviathan we you know we've already talked about how these stories kind of share uh a, a quality of taking place in liminal uh spaces uh in you know in transition areas uh and in leviathan we actually have a whale who kind of mirrors the the liminal uh transition spaces by the we had the the whale who tries to apparently well i don't know if i guess the whale didn't beach himself because he's he's been cut uh but the whale just like you said is completely out of place by being on the beach and so in a you know in seagull the the narrator is trying to escape the earthbound uh construction noise and all that stuff by going upwards mm-hmm. and in leviathan we have the whale that has uh somehow moved from the sea onto the land in a place where it doesn't belong and uh and, you know that's just a and i guess in i suppose in a spaniel we have bruce the dog who is uh not supposed to be walking around amongst the living uh is mm-hmm. is apparently uh with us and, and has joined us from the the land of the dead so i wonder if all these these sort of uh these crossing overs were intentional or uh is it just something you know a leap motif in your writing yeah i mean um that was um i suppose it, it intentional yeah um one of the ideas behind the the the, the stories as a whole um or this little series is there was a um i read a lot about the history of blackpool and there was a a bog called spendike which was essentially the the foundation of of it essentially sat on the foundation of the town and and stretched across part of the file coast and um 
you know the, the it, it was called Spendike and and eventually buildings were built on top of it and um blackpool became what it is but this idea of a bog and this kind of sub, almost subterranean mucky um uh, layer uh, underneath the town just seemed quite attractive to me and the, <laughs> the idea of um um maybe these creatures or these animals coming from this space or maybe just the idea that people are, are being affected by this energy underneath the town um i mean i don't know whether that will ever make its way into the into the stories in a concrete way mm -hmm. um but that was the idea behind it yeah and, and being out of place and um just feeling out of place i think is is a theme that um i come back to and um yeah yeah so um no i think i think yeah it was intentional um well, and also, I mean, I didn't, I don't, I didn't know anything about Blackpool, mm -hmm. uh, except for I looked it up on a map or I looked up uh, Filed uh, Coast, but yep. uh, before we talked. But and you telling me that Blackpool is kind of a, it used to be a a, a popular destination for holiday makers, makes me think of kind of similar places where. Uh, you know the, the 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 city and the commerce is based off of uh, people coming uh, and and staying very briefly and then leaving again. And you know we have places like that, of course, in the U.S. When one of the places that comes to mind is uh, Niagara Falls, where you have this uh, you know this area of of uh, great beauty, but it's also the the the, the touristy stuff that has sprung up around it. Uh, it's just weird that these kind of cities, you have people that live there permanently, but they live. There they're, they live there permanently, but there's a lot of transition uh, and turnover of people coming and going. And so there's kind of a, in a place where, in a, in a touristy place like that, there's kind of a, a I suppose, a, a wobbly or a, a shaky, shaky ground and foundation for, uh, for a, a civilization, I suppose. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I especially, uh, I especially got that feeling when I was working at the arcade on right on the front because um i was spending a lot of my time on the front and really in the heart of of the um of the kind of the touristy part of blackpool um and then uh you would kind of uh, you know i'd walk through town on my lunch and um and you would just be exposed to this this hordes of people who'd come you know from down south or from scotland and were all arriving at this place not uh, me like many of them looking unhappy about being <laughs> being there um but you know you've got to try to enjoy yourself because you're there and and there was this it was also when i was working in in blackpool it was the world cup or it was the world cup and we were doing very well in the world cup england were um mm. and it, it was also one of the hottest um uh summers in a long time i think we had our hottest day on record um when i was working there so you can imagine like on the front um near the beach and there were just hordes of, of people coming in to the arcade every day and i think it did have an effect on me just um the being around that number of people and not really seeing the same face 
twice you know apart from the people i was i was working with um so yeah um i i definitely got that impression and i must say the the only thing i know about niagara falls is that episode of the office where um <laughs> where pam and pam and jim tie the knot on a boat so yeah i can't i can't speak to niagara falls but <laughs> i'll take niagara, you say face value yeah <laughs> niagara falls is very weird because my wife and i went a few years ago and on the u.s side it's basically just a state park and they haven't done any any building or uh, uh tourist attractions it's just a a uh just a more or less just a state park that looks nice and but yeah. on the other side on the canada side they've built like a, a essentially a mini las vegas with uh with casinos and uh wax museums and all this bizarre garish neon uh jungle stuff and it's it's uh just it's you know it's really jarring quite frankly but anyway not to not to hmm talk down about Niagara Falls, but we stayed <laughs> on the Canada side. Anyway, th but that's neither here nor there. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you, does arcade mean the same thing to you that it does to me? Because when you say arcade, I imagine I imagine a place with a bunch of video games where teenagers and 20-somethings go in and they pop quarters into, uh, you know, Pac-Man and, and racing games and that sort of thing. Is that what you mean? Is that what you mean by arcade? Um, so the, that's part of it. I mean, maybe it means something slightly different here because when I think of arcade, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, two penny machines, uh, ten p machines. These kind of um, uh, the the just a mass of um, machines where you you put a, a, a ten p or a two p inside and it um, jangles down into a tray. And the aim of the game is to try to push these coins out into a to the bottom so you can get them so it's ah. not a you're not winning you're not winning money apart from you know maybe 10p or, or whatever or 12p um uh but it's just about the fun of of throwing this loose change away but Cor coral island is a is a special case because i think it's it's the long they don't really like to call themselves an, an arcade they're the they're the um They've got ideas above their station. They're the um, <laughs> the largest um, indoor entertainment um, complex in in Europe. I think is is what they would call themselves. It's certainly a huge building. And if you if you ever Google Coral Island, you'll see the big facade on the front, which it's all pirate themed. And there's a um, a skull um, and uh, models of of pirates sitting in the in the eye of the skull. And there's a giant parrot outside and it was really strange because the the smoking area um uh for staff and the kind of place where you would get some fresh air on your breaks is just below this giant parrot um so it was quite weird you know you would turn around to go back into work and you'd be confronted by these these um the the these massive models um so yeah i worked on the camel derby which is I don't know whether you have them in the US, but you you roll the ball, you roll three balls up a um, uh, an an incline, and you're trying to get them into to holes, which ah. move a, a camel or a or a horse. It's sometimes you know a, just a horse along, and then first place gets a prize every time. <laughs> you know. Ah, okay. <laughs> Yeah. See, we we had that, and I, I immediately after saying Camel Derby, I re, I remember that I was pronouncing it incorrectly. I know that you guys spell it Derby, but it's pronounced Derby. Uh, we call that ski ball here. Right. Okay. Um, I, I did want to ask uh, Coral Island in in Seagull the 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 
though the departed wife's name is Carol, uh, but we also have the Coral Island, and uh, you know, I, I just had to, I just had to wonder whether or not he was making up Carol too, because of the uh, the, the transposition of the letters in Coral Island, and maybe you know it was an associative thing, uh, and he had made her up. But I, I don't think, I, I don't think, I think that's a bridge too far, based on what you're saying. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't, uh, I didn't read it like that. Um, yeah. I mean, in all honesty, I think I was probably, I don't know whether you've heard of Alan Partridge, but I think I was reading the Alan Partridge book, which is, um, and his wife is called Carol. So I probably just plucked it from that. I'm really bad at, yeah, yeah I'm really bad at names. You'll probably, I don't think that the narrators of these stories have names. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so sometimes a name will just be plucked from, you know, whatever I'm reading or watching um yeah so that's that's the explanation behind that coincidence yeah <laughs> got it um i think last question i want to ask you was you said you write more poetry uh than short stories but you know here you are writing and publishing short stories at a fairly good clip what do you like about the form and uh what is how does this you know uh, what do you like about the form and uh how it suits your purposes as a writer yeah, um, I like the, I think I probably would say I like writing flash fiction, uh, probably more than the short story. I mean, that's, there might not be a big um, difference between the two in a lot of people's minds, but um, uh, for me, a short story is more developed and maybe a bit longer and flash fiction is getting in and out. And I like the idea of that, of of kind of just throwing a, a, a load of paint on the wall and then running away and, and seeing what it looks like, you know, afterwards. And um, so, yeah, I like this, this idea of just writing a thousand words and getting out as quickly as possible. But um, I, I think within the short story, you can develop, I like the challenge of developing a, a strong voice within a, a small um, space. And I think my favorite writers do that um, really. Um, that's what I like about my favorite writers. Maybe I prefer character and voice to plot. And that might be why I read more um, poetry and short story than novels. Um, and even my, my, even my favorite writers like Daphne du Maurier, who wrote some amazing novels, but I always, would go back to her short stories like the birds and and don't look now because um i just like that brevity and i like being able to experience something in one sitting and then just feel the weight of it uh and then think on it uh and you know some of the best short stories you will get 10 times more out of them than you would you know a a a mediocre novel you know yeah, so yeah. I think, yeah, the, the short story is, is an amazing form and um, it's one that takes a lot of thought and concentration and it's a challenge and, and I think that's what I like about it, that structural challenge and that challenge of voice too, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. The short story, when it's done well, it's like a it's like a you know it's like a, it can be like a pop song but you got to pare it down to the essentials and but if it's done well it can it, it'll it can have an impact uh, greater than much greater than any long-winded uh, and verbose novel 
Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think um, you know that that pop music thing. You know, people do down pop music, but I'd rather listen to you know a Daydream Believer than you know a a, a two hour long um, prog rock album. You know, <laughs> it's um, it's um, you know, and I think there's there's something in that. Like um, I don't know whether you know they might be giants. Oh god, um, yes. But yeah, but um. You know, I I really like them, and my friend Will, he really, uh, who who uh, is a writer too, um, he he loves them. But I would always listen listen to Birdhouse in Your Soul, and you know, just the entirety. If I had to pick one song out of the entirety of their catalog, it would be that one. And even though it's the most popular, it's the it's the briefest. It's the one that has a strong hook, and I think the short story needs that. It needs the strong hook, and um you know it's um it might not be um uh, popular i think novels will always probably be more popular uh but it has that pop music vibe of of kind of it has to get you and it has to get you quickly mm-hmm. um and finish quickly too um so yeah. it can be played on the radio you know <laughs> yeah one of my tests is if i when you know I've, I've got a podcast about short stories so obviously i like the form but if i if i read a short story and if i can still remember it like a month or two later uh then it, or if i just think about it a month or two later you know unbidden and uh unsummoned that's usually a sign to me that it was pretty good uh or it had some sort of lasting impact karen do you have a website that i can uh tell the listeners about um, I don't have a website at the moment. The best place uh, and the place where where all the the stuff I, that's been published is uh, probably my Twitter, um, which is at kins underscore Wyatt. And yeah, uh, all my writing is on there somewhere. You'll find it. Yeah. All right. Well, Kieran, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your writing with me and talking about your stories. I really enjoyed them. They had a uh, a, a light, but uh, you know, very meaningful, kind of a lambent magical realism quality that I really enjoyed. And thank you for sharing them with me. Thank you. That that it's been an absolute pleasure, and and thank you for uh, your kind words and, and reading the stories. It was a it was a thrill. It was almost like I was on This American Life. For, <laughs> you know, well, I hope, for, I hope I didn't mingle them too much. I apologize. No, no, it, it was really great. Um, yeah, thanks a lot.